This is Ron Garney, and you're listening to the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to another episode of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. This is episode 39. And I am your host, Rick Verbanis. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Bob Lucius. Bob? Ciao. <laughs> Rick. Ciao. Ciao, Bob. Oh, oh, I don't know where you're, I don't know if you're going Italian or Vietnamese there. It's, uh, it, it could go either way. Yeah, maybe you didn't know that, right? Did you know that? Sin ciao. Uh, uh, well, you know, you would know. I mean, you lived there for a little that's while. Right, that's right. So that's right. Uh, I'm, you know, um, yeah, yeah, let's go with that one. That's the All one right. I meant. Yeah, that's uh, that could be uh, sort of a, 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 a sort of a, a reference to that double double splash page. Yes, uh, yes. We're going to be talking about yeah, that. Yeah, we're going to so. talk about that a little later today, right? Uh, yeah, I got a little plug in there for myself. It all comes together. It does. It does. Yeah, this is this is going to be a, a real fun episode because uh, we get the chance to talk to uh, one of my favorite Captain America artists, uh, Mr. Ron Garney. And so he uh, he's been, uh, you know, we've been covering him um, in the last episode uh, where uh, we were going through his uh, volume one with Mark Wade and, and covering some of his uh, his issues there. Uh, and then we'll be covering it in the next episode. But um, yeah, so it's so excited to talk to, to Ron Garney today. I know you've been uh, you've been working really hard, uh, listeners out there. You need to know Rick. Rick works hard to try to land these guests uh, for your edification and entertainment, and uh, he worked extra hard to to uh, to get Ron on this show. So uh, I hope I, you enjoy it. Uh, well, I appreciate that, Bob. But yeah, it it's certainly a, a labor of love. And, uh, and, you know, we appreciate our listeners and uh, the response that we get. We appreciate you uh, subscribing and downloading and listening. Uh, we appreciate the comments on the Facebook message board. We appreciate um, the five-star ratings when you go on to uh, Apple. Uh, so if you haven't done that uh, and you, you can, you're on iTunes, please go in and uh, give us a five-star rating and, and leave a message there because um, we'd love to uh, reading those here. Um, and then lastly, um, you know, we appreciate, uh, our patrons. Uh, we appreciate the, the ones that, um, are going onto our anchor page, um, and, uh, you know, donating a little money. So listen, if you feel that, uh, the four episodes we put out a month is worth the price of a comic book, uh, then we would love, uh, to have mentioned your name, uh, as far as, uh, one of our patrons as well. In fact, um, one of the special things that we're, we're doing to, to say thank you, to um to our patrons is to give them um, the first opportunity to find out who our guests are and to ask questions so uh later uh, in this uh interview we we are going to get to to some of those questions that have been posed um by our patrons so so uh, just as a way to say thank you to them yeah that's that's a, I mean, that's awesome right uh and i got a sneak peek at uh, a couple of those questions from a couple of the patrons and uh, they're, they're not ones we would have thought to ask. So that's really awesome. That's great, you know, to get that feedback and to have that opportunity uh, and get a shout out to the artists and uh, writers and creators themselves. Yep, yep. And we have uh, certainly a lot more guests uh, in mind uh, that have uh, agreed to come on and a few that we're talking with scheduling and things like that. So um, 
you know what uh, the, the 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 list of guests keep on coming so we're we're excited for that but none not not more excited than the one we're about to get to uh which is ron garney so let's get to that so bob uh our next guest has been in the industry for over 35 years and has worked on so many series during that time um, while he he's certainly drawn about every major marvel character uh he's had runs on amazing spider-man silver surfer Hulk, uh, Daredevil, Savage Sword of Conan, Juggernaut. I mean, uh, he also had a nice run on JLA for DSC. Um, he's currently working on a killer series with Keanu Reeves for Boom Studios. Uh, and But of course, we love his amazing work on Captain America. Um, he's actually had four stints with the character. He uh, ended volume one in 1996. Uh, he kicked off volume three in 1998, as well as another series, Sentinel of Liberty in 98. And then uh, came back to the character in 2010 with the, an ultimate version of Captain America. Um, so Ron Garney certainly knows Cap. Hi, Actually, Ron. Hey, I did a little thing too in AVX, uh, Avengers versus X Men thing um, with uh, Dan Slott too, a story, single issue story. I, I, I probably did, read that, but I don't recall it. I'll have to go World check War that II out. Where they fought the Sentinels. Oh, very mm -hmm. cool. Well, yeah, Ron, it, was, it was a fun story. Anyway. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, you know, at, at the end of your first run on Cap uh, with issue 454, which ended the first volume of the series, you and Mark had the opportunity to write a letter to the fans on the last page of the book. Yeah. And um, so it's it's early summer 1998 when you wrote this. Uh, but you 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 said you mentioned Cap is is your your favorite Marvel character, and mm -hmm. quote. It's never been hard to put myself up to draw Cap. He's the one single character that embodied everything I'd most admired in a character since I was a little kid peddling my Batmobile. <laughs> okay, he's one of two characters, Captain Superman. I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, that said, I will spare the readers more of my grand soliloquy, waxing emotional about Cap's influence on my childhood. End quote. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about this? Was Cap really one uh, of your two favorite characters as a kid? And, and what was it like to finally draw him? Um, you're going to force me to go into that grand soliloquy anyway, right? I am because, you know, <laughs> us Cap fans want to hear it. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it was him and Superman. Those were the two characters that I, I gravitated towards the most. Um, you know, and Batman. Batman was more the campy TV series when I was a little kid uh, would watch. It's funny how you watch it now and it's so colossally ridiculous. But as a little kid, there was something about the animation and the opening credits. I mean, the Biff Bam Pow thing and then the, you know, the artwork with them flying across the screen really appealed to me, interestingly. But as far as Captain America, it's probably, um, I probably looked at it as, I mean, I could get real personal about it. Probably looked at it as everything, him as everything I'd want a father to be, you know, as a little boy. Uh, somebody, what he represented. It was, he was, you know, he's just a real role model. He was a real role model type and um, courageous and, you know, um, and things like that. So that's probably why, uh, uh, why it appealed to me the most, same with Superman, sort of. Um, but that's really it because it was very young. Um, I was very young and uh, yeah, I had, um, it, it just appealed to me for that reason, I think. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, once I got in, 
uh, once I started working on samples, I had met Mike Zek and, um, and because of that, that's, that's, those were the samples I used to get into Marvel. So. Yeah. I, I, I'd heard that, that you had, that was how you got into Marvel. You used cap samples. I, yeah, I would love to yeah. somehow see those. I, I, have oh, you know, I, I don't, I might have a scan somewhere, but they got lost throughout the years. Uh, I don't know whatever happened to them. There were like eight pages of it. And I think Eric Larson actually inked, inked one or some of the, a couple of the pages or something for whatever reason. I'm trying to remember why. I'd have to ask him, but I know he inked some of it. And, um, but I don't know whatever happened to the originals. I have no idea. And I only, I, I don't even know what happened to, if I have any scans. I have so many boxes of Xeroxes and things like that, that uh, it, it would take me, a year to go through them all and find it so ah. fortunately they're probably lost to the universe ah. <laughs> and maybe if i found them again it would be a dorian gray kind of thing and once <laughs> i looked at them all my skills would erode into nothing <laughs> no! Ron, I, you know, if there's two things that I never hear enough about from, uh, from Rick, it's, uh, it's you and it's, oh, Mike well, that's very kind of you. Yeah. And, uh, and I know he's, he's been excited like a, like a schoolgirl uh, for, for two Oof, a school. So, girl. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of squealing <laughs> going on, a lot of squealing going on. Uh, oh, Lord. oh my oh, God. <laughs> well, I gotta what lay it out kind there. of a podcast have I walked into? <laughs> but Hey, you know, I was, I, I was uh, I was reading through the uh, the interview with you on, in the Modern Masters series. Oh gosh, yeah, it was a great oh, it's a great interview. It's uh, really covers a lot of. Ground. It was around the same time I did Ultimate Cap, isn't that 2010? -ish? Yeah, it's around there. It's just a, just a great great interview. But one of the things Thank that you. really struck me was um, sort of the relationship <laughs> that you had early on with with Mike Zek. Um, yeah, and how he was sort of influenced on you and helped you out along the way. But also not just a, pro a professional relationship, but a personal relationship. And uh, I thought that was just, that was great. So, you know, for, for, uh, for Rick's sake, I wondered if you'd share a little bit of, uh, about that, how that well, happened. Um, sure. I mean, I, it just happened sort of serendipitously, <clears throat> excuse me, as this has a lot of things in his career, to be honest with you. Um, I was working at a bar. Uh, I was a waiter, bartender at this restaurant called Sherman's Tavern. It was like 1982 four or five and um and he happened to have a comic behind the bar and it was a secret wars comic and um mike which mike had been drawing and uh i had forgotten all about comics i mean i hadn't read them since i was little you know and so i picked it up and i was just out of college trying to figure out what i would do you know where i was gonna go yeah. um you know i was just was i gonna just be a bartender my whole life what was i gonna do with an illustration degree you know and because um, there wasn't a whole lot around at that time. And I had originally wanted to be a, a, a painter, like a, you know, paperbacks, the way Michael Whalen or somebody or even Frazetta, you know, mm -hmm. had done um, Boris, that kind of thing. So that was my original interest was painting. And um, so I had a lot of paintings and stuff, but I had never really even thought about getting into uh, comic books at all. I mean, it never even occurred to me. And then I saw that comic and I was looking through it and it really appealed to me because I always loved photography and because of painting and, you know, compositions appealed to me. And I 
had toyed with the idea of maybe going and taking film directing courses at the time, you know, in my spare time. And, you know, it, it was just at that stage of life where everything was sort of amorphous, you know, um, and, and, you know, as far as which direction I wanted to go. Uh, so I opened that up and it was all there, you know, all those things I had interest in. I'm like, and it sort of hit me right away. I was like, wow, this is the coolest thing ever. Plus I got to uh, see, heroes pitted against each other on a planetoid by some you know extra dimensional super being you know which was pretty wild to me so um it, it hit me right away and i asked the, the other bartender where he got it and he told me it was a little 24-hour store down the street and uh, so i ran down there and i i started going through them and i just man it just was just like whoa i forgot all about this stuff and i pulled out some John Byrne, uh, FF, and uh, uh, a little bit of Frank Miller, Daredevil I was looking at, you know, all that stuff back then. And um, and I got hooked, like literally really hooked on it. It was like a strange thing because I'm not an addictive personality, but something about them just tapped into all the things I love doing, you know. And, uh, and I was like, man, I could actually do this for a career. And I, I went down and I asked the guy, <clears throat> you know, the, the store owner, I said, how do you get into this as a career? And he, he said, well, you got to bring samples or send samples to Marvel. And then he pointed to the shelf and there was a Marvel tryout book there. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like there's a tryout book to get into Marvel right there on the shelf. Yeah. It was like this oversized. Oh, that's synchronicity right there. Yeah, it was 11 by 17. And it was Spider-Man stuff. And Jared Jr.'s work was in there that you could ink and and then it had blank pages that you would draw on and give you a story, a plot, you know, and you had to draw the story in there. And so, man, I did that and I slaved over it. And I, I sent it in like the day before the deadline. <laughs> so I don't even know if they got it on the deadline, which was probably not very smart on my part. Um, but regardless, I mean, I, you know, I wasn't, you know, I was still just figuring it out. And uh, I, you know, I got a few weeks later, I got a no thank you note in the mail <laughs> from Marvel. And I was like, oh, God damn, you know, and I had an art degree and I was always considered the best artist sort of in school. So it was, you know, something I kind of took for granted, I guess. And so when that I got that rejection notice, it really lit a fire under me. And then come to find out uh, talking to. Maybe it was the, the store owner or somebody. Uh, I think he mentioned to me that Mike Zach, the guy who did Secret Wars, lived in the area. And I was like, what? And it turned out he lived like nine minutes from my house. Wow. Like right down the road, you know, into, from uh, fair, um, Upper Westville, New Haven to into West Haven. And so um, that really blew my mind. I looked at in the phone book and there was Mike Zach you know, Lake, Lake Street and West Haven. And I'm like, holy, holy cow, this guy lives right here. I mean, you know, so it all seems sort of like it was unfolding for me on purpose, you know? I mean, I, yeah. you know, believe what you want about the universe, you know? I can tell you some crazy stories that would blow your mind and make you think, but that was one of them for me. Um, and so I- By the, by the just, way, by the way, Ron, legal disclaimer, as you as you point out in that interview, don't don't try this at home, listeners. Don't be- Exactly, yeah, I've don't, said don't that in other right. interviews. <laughs> right, don't, yeah. Don't go call and be cold on people. Because <laughs> it won't work in your favor in this particular, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Back then it was, you know, but I called him and uh, and surprisingly, I, you know, I left him a message to him, hey, so-and-so, a bartender, hey, and I was wanting to be, you know, maybe give you some pointers. 
Didn't ask him to bring me to Marvel. I mean, just could you look at my work and give me some pointers? And surprisingly, he called me back very graciously. Um, and we talked for a bit and he, you know, he said, yeah, so uh, just send me your stuff in the mail. And, uh, you know, I said, well, you, we could get together. He's like, no, 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 just send them to me in the mail. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I did. And he called me back, you know, and it was so exciting. You know, this guy did Secret Wars, the comic that got me back into it. I'm talking to him. Mm-hmm. On the phone, he went over my samples and he seemed to think they were pretty good. So um, he gave me some tips and pointers. And and so I sat and over time, I just kept, you know, reworking it and trying to get better. And then um, he started coming to my bar. He came to my bar. I think he called me back after I sent him my, re, re you know, reworked pencils. And I said, well, I'm down in New Haven. If you ever want to come in for a drink, I'd love to give you, a, you know, buy a drink and stuff. I bartend at this place. And we showed up. And um, so that was pretty much it. You know, we sat, you know, I was working and he was sitting at my bar and we talked and then he invited me to a convention to sit behind the table and do some sketches. It was really bizarre, you know, the whole thing. And Mike was very gracious. He was a very gracious guy and that he was very, always very helpful to people. Um, a lot of people don't know this about him and he's sort of an unsung hero in that regard and, and how much he's helped guys like Jerry Ordway. Um, like he used to help Jerry all the time. He helped myself, uh, this kid, Howard Porter, you know, from JLA, mm-hmm. this guy's a friend of mine, um, good friend. And, uh, you know, he helped a lot of people. Uh, this guy, Mike DiCarlo was on Batman at the time. And, and so I was sitting with them at this little convention and, in upper Connecticut, you know, and it was just very trippy. And, uh, you know, we played vo- some volleyball together and things like that. And then, you know, um, he took off to Florida and we lost touch, you know, for a number of reasons. And uh, he, he took off to Florida. I uh, got married. Uh, um, and that was, you know, and I, I'm in touch with him a little bit here and there on Facebook and stuff. So that's basically how it all happened. Yeah. Well, that's a great story. I, it is, I and yeah. it's it's nice to see, you know. Well, he brought me in. Sorry to interrupt. I, I forgot to mention he he when he thought I was ready, he brought me into Marvel in DC. That's how great he was. I mean, he you know, we took the cat, we took the train, took the cabs over to DC, and then DC offered me Animal Man right away. Like but they said, Can you do this eight pages? We want to see how it comes out. Uh, so I slaved over that for the next week and um, pulled all nighters and tried to get it just right. And, and then, uh, and then they changed their mind and went with this guy, Chaz Truog, uh, who originally they asked to do it and then changed his mind. He decided he wanted to do it. So then Marvel called. And then you know, I, literally when I went to, when we went in, by the time I got home, I had all these offers on my answering machine. So first I got the animal man gig when I was at DC, but then when I went to Marvel and was showing my stuff around with Mike, he, uh, um, by the time I got home, I had calls from Ralph Macchio and Danny Fingeroth and Bobby Chase. Wow. I think it was because they happened to like my cap samples. And, um, so I got, that was it. That was it. The rest is history. Just boom. I got launched into it right away so sorry go ahead no great synchronicity serendipity whatever you want to call it yeah yeah it was bizarre no it's it's a great story and it's it's nice to hear that about mike uh you know i I, as bob mentioned i'm a huge mike zek fan and um in 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 our facebook group we um he's part of the group as well as many other artists and and this past summer we did a um 
uh, a vote uh, each day, kind of like a uh, what do they call it? The, the brackets, right? The the March mm-hmm. Madness, right? And we did it with right, the different right, Captain right. America artists and. Um, and he made you did it that to, on the on the board. You did that, yeah, yeah. So every day it was, you know, it was a bracket, and you and you could vote for this right. artist or this artist, right? And it came down to um, the, in in one one conference, if you call it, it was Jack Kirby, and the other conference was Mike Zach, and it came down to the two of them. And I reached yeah. out to Mike to let him know, and and talk about gracious, right? He said, you know, I, I appreciate that, and I love the fans, and I appreciate what their um, their interest. But I try to stay away from things like that because anytime you shine a light on one, another is in a shadow. And I was like, wow, what a super guy, mm. right? I mean, like, yeah. you know, he, um, and so it's nice to hear of stories like this and, and, mm. uh, and how he helped you and, and others, as you mentioned, uh, get into business. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, it's uh, unusual because a lot of people, maybe not not that they don't have good intentions but they just might not have the you know energy or interest to to go that far with it you know what i mean with somebody he seemed to think there was something in my work it was pretty good i remember asking him at the time he said what you know why did you bring me in he goes well he says because your stuff didn't suck that's <laughs> <laughs> a point as a man of manner of speaking you know um but uh he brought me in at the same time he brought uh, this kid, Larry Alexander, and I don't know whatever became of him, but so he brought two of us in at the same time and showed our work around. So, well, yeah, he had a, a tremendous run on the series, right? Then, yep. uh, and then we have uh, others that that have over the years, you know, after following, uh, you know, we have a nice run by Kieran Dwyer, Ron Lim, then we have Rick Levins and and uh, uh, Hoover, uh, and then it kind of. So when, when Mark Wade and you took on the series with issue 444, um, mm-hmm. for many of us longtime Cat fans, it, it was kind of like a breath of fresh air. I mean, it, it we love Mark Runewald and respect sure. his long time love for the character, but it was time for a fresh take. Yeah, and it was, it was getting very campy and silly. And and, and know, honestly, I, the art too was getting a little stale, uh, you know, yeah. uh, and, and so seeing your art, um, you know, it was amazing. I mean, it, it was, it was, you know, and what a story you came in on, right? I mean, uh, it was bringing back Cap from the brink of death. Uh, it, was a, it was a fun Red Skull story. Uh, what was it like jumping into the series with, with such an impactful story featuring Cap's biggest foe and then a return of his love interest thought dead for decades? I mean, now that must have been like a, <laughs> what a you great jumping title. in, right? What I mean, a great title that would have been. Captain America dead for decades. <laughs> um, well, it was very fresh. And because of the nature of the story with Cap's, you know, with his arch nemesis, the skull and love Sharon from the early years, uh, it felt like it was starting the whole Captain America journey all over again, Operation Rebirth. And that was the whole point of it. You know, um, it kind of, brought you back to his roots made you take him seriously again and you know i think i think the lowest point and you know god bless mark grunwald i love the guy you know but the, the cap armor was much too much and it was just wasn't cap you know um part of the appeal of cap was he even though he was super soldiered and he had the serum in him he still did a lot with with just himself and the shield you know he didn't need all the extra accoutrements so uh, to bring him back to his roots and and his you know the originality of it you know the original villain and and uh, you know uh, love interest and it just felt sort of like 
an upgrade from the old, you know, uh, stories. And so I think it, the comics are a very nostalgic medium. It taps into that part of our brain. And I think, you know, um, we sort of mark, you know, with his, his extensive knowledge and hit of, of the history, uh, really tapped into that part of our, our, our consciousness, you know, and our subconscious. And, and, and uh, I think uh, that was in large part the appeal. It had a very nostalgic flavor while at the same time being very fresh and new. Um, you know, and, and it, it's like anything, you know, it's when you look at something you go, man, I, I, I miss those old days. And it's very rare where you can bring those old days back and make it feel like, wow, we're starting again, you know, and that's kind of what that run did, I think, you know, and the whole man without a country thing, you know, Mark was very um, good about sitting down and talking about what ideas you might have and what you want to draw. He would, you know, call up and say, Hey, what do you want to draw? And, and uh, so you would think about it. And, you know, when I first met him was at Marvel, uh, they introduced me to him and we sat outside in the, you know, outside the bullpen and we just talked about it. And I just said, you know, at the time, I think true lies had come out. Uh, and I thought, man, well, how cool would it be if cap was, you know, more of a secret agent and he had to go on, on secret missions instead of, you know, you know, something that would be something new and interesting you know um sort of like a secret agent man so um that's sort of how man without a country came about um but yeah i mean it was um for me it was the biggest kick because i finally had got to do what i'd been wanting to do and i had been doing ghost rider and night stalkers and moon Knight, and i did a couple daredevil issues and things like that and a Spider-Man holiday story I had first done was one of the first things I'd done too. Um, but it was all more supernatural slanted and, you know, and I was willing to pay my dues. So I did those books, you know, um, Night Stalkers was way beyond my interest, you know, at the time, but I was willing to do it obviously. And it was a great story, fun. It was just different, not what I like <clears throat> Dan Chichester was really into sort of Clive Barker type horror and, that just wasn't what I wanted to do in comic books. So, um, but it was fun. But so by the time Cap came around, uh, it was, I felt like I finally got there, you know, to Marvel for real, you know, to do yeah. Captain America. So. And, and it was, uh, you mentioned like it was, it was going back to its roots and, it, and but it also had a, a feel of a new direction too, right? Because right, it was both. What, yeah. And nostalgic you, and, and new. It was weird. Yeah. And, That's and why I, I think, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, because one of the things that you had done that was new uh, was the the Captain America logo on the cover, right? Yeah. Uh, it had a, a different font. The shield was flying through it, like left to right. And, right. and that was your concept, right? Yeah, I did some sketches for Ralph, um, you know, because right, right away when he asked me to do Cap, he gave me a choice of a couple different titles and Cap. I just said, I'll do cap right away. I was like, no, I'll do cap. It'd take me two seconds to say anything. Um, and uh, I had an image in my head right away of what I wanted to look like, what I would have wanted to see in the book. Um, and I wanted to do something new and exciting, you know? Uh, and so I just went with my, my instincts and have the shield cut through the logo across the top of the comic. And so I did some sketches and then um, the, letterer uh todd klein i think it was um did a built up a font based on my sketching 
So, um, yeah, it worked out really nice um, and made it feel fresh, like you said. Mm -hmm. You know, so the visuals were fresh while the story had that nostalgic feel to it. So I think it was lightning in a bottle sort of, you know. Yeah. And the other thing, too, I thought that was fresh, uh, even though. I know 90s, you know, there was a certain style to art, right? But um, one of the things I noticed was you did a lot of double page splashes. And, and for the listeners who aren't familiar with that term, a splash page is, is typically right. one large image rather than, yeah. rather than a bunch of panels. And, and then a double page splash are two pages next to each other to make one gigantic image. And it seemed like many of your issues had splashes and double page splashes. Was that su suggested by editorial or just something you enjoyed doing? And, and if so, why? No, I, I'm the one who kind of kept putting that stuff in. I was, I was just trying to have a ball with it and Mark would write plots. And so I, it was up to me how to lay it out. Um, and so I was really growing exponentially in my storytelling um, because it forces you to do when you're doing plots, because it's, it's not, panel by panel like these full scripts are which is annoying at times you know i get i it's also has its benefits don't get me wrong but the plots force you to learn how to story tell visually you know and um for me I, it was like creating beats i looked at the music and the tempo and inside the panels i tried to create a musical sort of tempo to it and so you'd be like one, two, three, four, and then you turn the page and boom, it's this big double spread that's in your face that kind of takes you, you know, off your feet a little bit. You know, one of the best reactions I had gotten for that was uh, Captain America saving the Red Skull from a bullet. Um, it was originally written as a panel and I turned it into a big double spread. So when you opened it, Cap was going left to right. And it was this huge image of him with this, this red skull behind him in front of a wall, you know? Mm -hmm. And I remember getting so many notes from about that, you know, so many uh, little notes from people or, you know, phone calls and saying, man, I just opened up that cap and it was amazing. That shot was amazing, that kind of thing. And that's the kind of reaction I want. Like, you know, well, if you look at the, you know, look at the shot that Mike did of Wolverine and Cat behind you, you know, there's so mm -hmm. much energy to it. And, you know, um, those are the kinds of things you learn from Mike is how to bring energy into, into, into the work. And um, so that's, you know, that's what I strove for um, when doing double spreads. And I, I continue to do that for a long time. It's harder now because again, everything is full script. So it's like, I have to, you know, <laughs> you know, wrangle the writers to try to, you know, give me space to do those things, but it's difficult. I don't get to do it as much as I used to. So well, I speaking of double page splash, I, I heard you say in an interview, you always wanted to draw Cap as someone to look up to, someone to admire. Right. And you you mentioned like you know how you you would do it with his chin up, um, mm -hmm. and, and you talked about the the last double page spread at four fifty four where Cap is fighting the army in the jungle. Yeah, that just and, popped into my head as you were saying that. Yeah. Yeah, and and you just you said you described it as very majestic, you know, because mm -hmm. it had you wanted to in that double page splash you wanted to show cap as as he's meant to be um and mm. and what cap is all about That's um right. to so and i'm a little I'm, I'm this is being a little uh um selfish here because i i would love to hear about more about that because uh, sure. i am now going to be the proud owner of those that double page splash i've got oh, really? in the mail tomorrow okay. uh, i can't wait I to get it, found and, it. And, and frame it uh so that's one of my favorite pieces of work. I mean, you know, um, 
Yeah, and doing that was real opportunity, I felt a visual opportunity to really create a feeling for the character of what I thought he should represent personally. I mean, it was always cap, you know, and he was, you know, and it was cap and he had the suit on and stuff, but I wanted it to feel not so much. I wanted it just to be the absolute essence of him. Um, and I always tried to bring that out you know, in the character, in, in the visuals. Um, so when people looked at him, you got this sense that I had, uh, you know, it was always shot from underneath, like you were a little kid looking up at, him, you know, mm -hmm. um, and his star was big and emblazoned across the chest. And he was larger than life. And he was, you know, and his, his chin is up and he's just so indefatigable, um, you know, and he's facing off against these ridiculous odds. And, uh, but I wanted him to feel like the courage in him, you know what I mean? Like the courage is represented in the visual graphic. I don't know how to explain it, where it's not so much his facial personality, like his identity, but his inner identity. Everything that you would hope Captain America as an entity unto itself would represent, as opposed to Steve Rogers, you know. And it is Steve Rogers, don't get me wrong, but I wanted to pull out the feeling of courage and you know uh not invincibility but courage in the face of possible you know possible damage and uh and fighting for what he believed in and i wanted all that to come through so that was more important to me well you nailed it thank you yeah. <laughs> um, now you mentioned man without a country so captain yeah. america 450 through 453 uh which we're actually in the process of covering in in our next episode mm -hmm. um it was nominated for an eisner award uh yeah. for best yep. serialized story um in addition you were nominated for best penciler uh, right. eisner award yep. and it, it seemed like you and mark were hitting your stride and then it was cut short I mean, the cap volume one ended with 454, so they could relaunch the Heroes Reborn volume with Jeff Loeb and Rob Liefeld. How did you and Mark take that? Uh, gosh. Um, I kind of remember Mark calling me and saying, hey, I, I heard some stuff that was going to happen. And I'm like, what? And then I got the call from, I think it was Bob Harris or, or somebody basically saying we were off the book. It was just sort of a shock, like, what? You know, I honestly, I, I felt sort of numb about it at first. Um, more, I wasn't, I wasn't so outraged, you know, more, mostly the fans were understandably, um, because I have a very business mind as well. And I, you know, when they explained it to me, I'm like, well, that figures, you know, cause you know, obviously the shareholders and everything or, or whoever, just remember the days of Jim Lee and why aren't these books selling like that anymore? 7 million copies, you know, and you know, the funny part about money like that when it's being made is it can really breed uh, ignorance through the blindness of the uh, desire to get rich, you know, um, and they didn't realize that it was all speculative, you know, a uh, speculative market and everything. And that's why those things were selling like that. And so, um, and I don't mean ignorance in, a, in a, such a negative, make it sound so negative. I just mean that everybody was, you know, so in such a fever pitch because those books were, you know, Tom McFarlane's thing sold, you know, a couple million or something. And then Jim Lee, the seven and a half million selling X-Men was just crazy. 
just something right. never heard of. And everything was sort of the residue of that was everywhere. And there was a lot of money being made. And, um, but it blinded people to the reality of what was going on. And people just jumped in trying to get a piece of it, you know? And uh, so in the meantime, what ended up happening was they, you know, they cut off their nose to spite their face sort of, and came in and, uh, you know, and started marketing everything with a hundred different covers and things like that, you know, and bagging them and, you know, and then it just fell through, you know, the, the weight of it fell through because they weren't worth anything. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. So uh, the whole industry tanked because of it, you know, it was like a bubble, like anything else, it's like a real estate bubble. It was a comics bubble. And um, so, uh, yeah, so that's basically what happened. And I think, I was more, I, I understood it more why, you know, they were scrambling to, to try to get those sales back. And so they would go to the guys who sold that before, like Jim and, you know, and Todd or, or Jim and Rob. I mean, um, so I, I, while I was really disappointed, I wasn't outraged like all the fans were. And so I was actually pleasantly surprised at how outraged the fans were. And, um, so, yeah, but I mean, I did, I did express my disappointment, but Marvel offered me anything I wanted to do, you know, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I chose Surfer because I love the character. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was cool. And, and um, I always liked it. I remember the cover with Surfer with, you know, Thor versus Thor that John Buscema drew. And that stands as my favorite cover of all time in comics. So it was my chance to do, you know, get on a character like that, you know? So, and I, again, I like the surfer's nobility, which, you know, is what I liked about cap too. So anyway, um, so that's basically how it happened. And then it came back around and it was just sort of distilled at that point, you know, because there was so much surround and then wizard magazine came into, you know, it was big and, and it was just, it just distilled the, magic potion that it was the first time around you know and mm -hmm. unfortunately mark didn't go with his first instinct which i thought he should have i thought it was a mistake on his part but which he had called me and he said um he said hey uh, i have a great idea i think what we should do is when we come back we should uh you know just have cap on a bullet train and just put and just right now back to our story as if and for me i thought that was brilliant and it should have happened Sim brilliant in its simplicity because it would have put us back in the mindset of where we were rather than have there having been this interruption, we could just pretend the other stuff didn't happen and just get right back into it. Mm -hmm. However, that's not what Marvel wanted to do. And that was a mistake on all their parts, I thought. Because I, I was like excited. I was like, that's brilliant. Because I know in my head, it put me back in the frame of mind to get right back into the adventure. And that's for me what I always thought Cap should be as an adventure, you know, just as much, you know, like the secret agent adventure, that kind of thing. And that was part of the fun I had drawing, going to different countries and, you know, and going on these exploits and things like that. Not necessarily always fighting some science fiction Nazi or whatever, but just going on an adventure, you know, and uh, on these exploits. But um, so, uh, so when we went back and, the second time uh it was for to make a political statement about the westernization of japan and um, so I, while it was a good story and i killed myself doing it i tried to draw every single character in tokyo <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> but um 
you know, I just felt like it was a little bit flatter. And plus, everybody had so many expectations and there was some t- a bunch of time in between our run and what had come with Heroes Reborn. And uh, so it just felt distilled and flat to me. Um, and then it wasn't long after that that, you know, more stuff happened on that book. So, yeah, that's how it went. So, yeah, volume three uh, had a cover date of January 98, right? So yeah. you were on the first five issues and then you did the cover to six. Um, you then left that series and you helped launch Captain America Sentinel of Liberty, which had a cover right. date of September of 98. Uh, and you were co-plotting with Mark uh, yeah. Wade for the first four issues. So w- why did you leave the first series? Was it to have the opportunity to co-write? No, no, that was more of a consolation prize because they took me off it. Um, you know, you know, my personal point of view on it, and you know, I don't know 100% the reality is probably all true, is that, you know, once a book becomes popular and hot and things like that, everybody wants the hottest guys on it, you know, and um, uh, they asked Andy Kubert to do it. So... And Andy was certainly, um, I love Andy uh, and I love, always loved his work. It's no slam on him. Uh, but I think he, he was more evolved than I was, you know, he, his father was Joe Kubert and he, you know, you could see all of that in the work and it was very evolved and, um, cool to look at and things. And I just think that the fans wanted that more than they wanted me. And I think, I think Bob Harris liked Andy's work and Mark, liked Andy's work and so they kind of just were like well Andy wants to do it and so but we can't do this to Ron but they did (laughs) they Mm. took me off it and so they offered me Sentinel Liberty we're going to launch this other book you know we really like you on that book to launch it and they try to make it seem like you know oh it was this new exciting title but it was really wasn't the flagship title and I felt like it was a demotion um, that's how I felt about it. I'm not going to lie about it or, or spruce mm-hmm. it up. That's how I felt that that disappointed me more actually than cap than being taken off at the first time for Rob and Jim, because that was a little more understandable, I guess, to mm-hmm. me from the shareholders point of view. But this time around, I felt like it was really shitty. So, um, and I, you know, uh, it was a blow to my artistic ego, I guess, somewhat, if I'm being honest. I'm, sure. I mean, I'm, look, I'm not crying the blues about it. It just happens the way it is in this business, like I said. But this time, when that happened, I was more really disappointed than the first time around when we were taken off, Mark and I together. But this was for, you know, something else entirely. And um, so it just, you know, while I tried to have fun with the Sentinel Liberty thing, and I really, you know, I... I could have quit, you know, I could have quit Marvel, whatever, you know, but I wanted to keep my career going. And, um, but I realized also, I felt like I was being taken for granted and bounced around a lot. So, um, yeah, so that's basically it. And, uh, you know, I tried to make the best of it, you know, and then I finally left that because it just was, I wanted nothing to do with cap anymore because of the, just such a negative sort of thing from my point of view of constantly being taken off and, you know, I felt underappreciated um, a little bit, um, not by the fans so much, but, you know, by that situation, I guess. But I understand it. I love Andy, loved his work. Um, I wasn't mad at him. Uh, it just is what it is. So, 
It's just business. At the end of the day, yeah, you can take it. It's a, the funny thing about comic books is it's it's very personal to us as creators, if you want to use that term, um, because we put so much of ourselves. We spend all day long in these rooms producing this to be put out there for the public to read and to be fans of. And uh, so it is personal to us, you know, and it becomes an, and the fans kind of join you in that ride and how personal it is. It's I love the fans. You know, they, they join you in that, you know, mm-hmm. and it's the only way out of the isolation. The only way out of the isolation of doing this for a living is meeting and talking to the fans, you know. Um, so. So it is very personal, you know, I mean, I'm always able to separate and say, OK, it's just business. But man, that felt really personal to me at the time. Um, before that, it wasn't quite as personal. Like, you know, when books are selling seven and a half million copies, I get it. Marvel's like, why the hell are these things floundering? Why don't we go back to the guys that were selling millions? And so that's what they did, you know, and it did was a big push, still didn't sell millions, but still did well, you know, just in the hype of it. So, so there you go. That's my answer. <laughs> Ron, hey, Scott I got back, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I got, around this time, I, I got to say, I, I wasn't reading comics at this time. I, oh, I had gone off into the Marines and I was living uh-huh. overseas and doing, you know, Marine. Well, Corps. you wouldn't be able to tell that from your room back there. <laughs> well, you know, but, you know, <laughs> after I got back, I got resettled again. You know, I, I yeah. had a kid. I got back into collecting, back into reading. I went back. And I, and I got to be honest with you, um, you know, I, I wasn't moved by a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff that I went back and read, but I love the Sentinel of Liberty series. And I, 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 oh, that's good. I've, 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 you know, I've trumpeted that so many times to, to folks that maybe they, they read the main volumes, a lot of these sort of mini series or one shots they don't read. And, but that one has always stood out to me as uh, just, just such a fun, exciting, well-drawn uh, series of Yeah, stories. I mean, don't get me wrong. I did like doing it. And I'll, you know, I'll get back on a positive slant about it. I mean, I did like doing it for, uh, I mean, I co-plotted it, you know, Mark and I would talk on the phone and he would write it up and, you know, but it really wasn't that much different than what we were doing on the original title anyway. Um, other than I had a little bit more input even. Um, but I did love doing the Invader story and I love... I love doing stories that are uh, retro. You know, yeah. I love Westerns. You know, I'm, I'm a big spaghetti Western guy, Clint Eastwood, that kind of thing. And so I just, and I love the, you know, no matter what you say about World War II, it was really, it was really, the designs of everything were really cool to look at, you know, um, very creative designs and everything. And all the planes from, from every country, they're just really you know, I was a huge fan of that stuff. I always had model planes and things, the Spitfire from Britain and, you know, all these, you know, and then the Stuka dive bombers and the Japanese Zeros. And they're just so, such cool designs. So for, as an artist, it was just fun to draw that stuff. Um, so I, I did have fun in that regard. And I, you know, it was fun to draw Prince Namor for the first time. And, uh, you know, and, you know, the whole crew of the human torches and, you know, so it was fun. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I, I really enjoyed that part of it too, but I knew, you know, unfortunately, I think the uh, acerbic nature of how it all happened, I think felt still was there in me. And I just wanted to move on and start something new and fresh, you know, and just get away from the yeah. political sort of, you know, volleyball that that book was. So, yeah. Well, I- 
I one of the things I, I really enjoyed was this idea of the isochronic stories, mm-hmm. stories between the stories, and uh, and I think that's what made that that series really appealing and the writing appealing to me. Yeah, know? yeah, 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 for sure. So to, you know, Ron, to your point about moving on, you 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 then kind of go on to Amazing Spider-Man and have a, a, a nice nice run. Well, not maybe not immediately, but you you were on Spider-Man, um, and yeah. so in two thousand seven. Uh, when you're penciling the series, there was a an issue where Cap guest stars during Civil War oh, yes. crossover. Sure, yeah. Uh, and this has since become the famous speech, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Where it's no, no matter the odds or consequences, when the mob and the press and the whole world tell you to move, your job is to plant yourself like a tree beside the river of truth and tell the whole world, no, you move. And and so this was this has been for cap fans a lot of cap fans go back to this quote many times so after being away from the character at this point for like nine years um was it fun to draw cap again and and did you have any idea that this scene would become as memorable as as it has become um yeah i mean i i I did think it was a memorable scene i mean you you can never predict those things but um i definitely thought it was memorable and for me you know, again, it's drawing cap. Um, so, you know, it was like uh, putting on an old, for myself, putting on the old costume in a way, you know. Um, it, you know, and, and having fun drawing Spider-Man is two, two different characters. So, you know, I was visually approaching Spider-Man differently than I would approach Cap. So it was fun to put that, you know, bring that sensibility and mix the two in the comic um but yeah i mean i had a sense that i mean it was a good line you know it was um you know very brilliantly written and um and i tried to create that feeling again of cat where you know peter was sort of at an angle from underneath him like a little right. kid looking up at his dad and mm-hmm. that's always how i tried to approach the characters like we you know from our angle cap is somebody who's always a father and that you know not literally but that's what you would want that person to be, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah. So for sure. I, I do think I remember thinking it was a memorable scene, but I didn't know how much it would stick in the lore and the consciousness of the fans. So, uh, we have a few questions from our fans that uh, are not oh, we have a okay. few questions of uh, your fans, uh, from our listeners that just, they've asked us. Um, so James Foley, uh, asks, uh, as a retired uh, submariner, uh, he was uh, worked on a submarine for a while. Um, the issue I most remember from your run was Captain America number two mm. in the story from 1998. I, found I know it, what he's going to ask me. <laughs> really? Okay. He says, I found it really exciting to read a story based on a boat. I was curious about the artistic decision to have the supporting character, the EXO, uh, be a woman. It was discussion topic in the navy but still very far off women did not serve on boats until 2010 um so i guess he was he's asking what what part of the was there a part of decision to make the character a woman that yeah that's not why i thought he was going um no i have no i honestly i i didn't even think about it you know to me it was just uh part of the story and i you know um i don't recall it ever being at the forefront of the conversation of why it was a woman or it was a, some statement being made. And I do think that's how those things should be handled. Um, 
it should be handled as if it just is, you know, and that's the way mm -hmm. things are meant to be or whatever, or whatever you want. But um, I don't recall any conversation pointing in that direction, you know, as to as if it was a deliberate decision. It might have been on Mark's part or something, you know. Um, but I, yeah, that's one of my favorite issues anyway. I love drawing the submarine. I was a huge fan of uh, Crimson Tide and Hunt for Red October. And I thought it was fascinating, the idea of how he was going to throw his shield around. I think I that actually happened because I mentioned to Mark it would be fun to see Cap in a submarine. That might have happened from that conversation. Was that the question I, you thought he was going to ask? No, I made a huge mistake in that. And then I, the insignia I put on some of the uniforms were petty officers. And uh, ah. so I made a, you know, an artistic error and I was drawing, you know, uh, the wrong and some of the officers i probably shouldn't point that out but it's uh you know unfortunately it was something that got through editorial and nobody we all just were it was just a silly mistake that shouldn't have happened so i thought that's what he was going to mention gotcha all right uh grant ball uh asks um, my question would be about what the creative team's goals were in regards to taking over the series after volume two um, they had previously had a short bit of time during volume one. So were their out outlooks and plans at all affected by the Heroes Reborn arc? Um, I don't, like I said, I, you know, I thought Mark's idea was brilliant to maybe just bring him back in and put him on a train like nothing had happened. Like now back to our story was going to be the first line. Like, and we just act like, it. okay, well, that was a weird dream, you know? Um, so uh, I, I don't know that it was planned because of Heroes Reborn or, you know, I do know it was referenced here and there. And I think that's probably part of the reason why Marvel rejected it is they didn't want to just toss shade at Jim. <laughs> you know, sure, right. And Rob that way. Um, so, uh, so I think that's why I went to Japan and there was reference and they wanted to tie it up, tie it in. I think they did in some later issues with other titles or something. I, I'm not quite sure, so. All right, uh, one last question from our, our listeners. Uh, Stephen Penipede asks, do you ever see yourself coming back to do another run on a Captain America book? Uh, I doubt it. I mean, I you never say never, but I mean, I'm not at Marvel now. Uh, you know, it's been a long run there. Um, I, but you know, I have, I, you never say never. Remember, I think John Byrne had said that at one point, you know, um, when he came back to a title for a stint. Um, but at this point, I can't envision it. You know, my 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 uh, desire is to go off and start doing and doing other things. Like I'm doing this Berserker thing with Ken Reeves. And, um, you know, and I've always wanted, I worked in movies before and I kind of want to evolve into something else, you know. Um, that's always the, been my nature is to keep changing and evolving into other things. You know, I mean, even in my artistic style, I was always was attempting to do different sort of looks on characters, you know, um, never to be pigeonholed into one thing. Um, so uh, while well, I'll say never say never, I, I don't see it in the, you know, right now. So right. not that I wouldn't. I mean, I love drawing them. So I, I want our listeners to know about your current series, which is uh, you just mentioned it, right? Uh, it's yeah. it's it's 
Good Berserker, and it's co-written by um, actor Keanu Reeves, and right. uh, as well as New York Times bestselling Matt Kint. Um, <laughs> I love the way everybody puts that in front of his name. Oh, and yeah. New York Times bestseller. bestseller. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's published by Boom Studios. Now, um, right. uh, issue four of the twelve-issue miniseries uh, comes out this month. Um, so, can I think you? It's issue three. Yeah. Well, um, this comes out in a few weeks from now. This podcast comes out in oh, July. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, yeah. so okay. it'll be uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so, so <laughs> can you tell your tell the listeners more more about the series? I like the way you whisper into the microphone. As if no one would be able to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you want me to tell you more about the series? Yeah. Um, well, where do you want me to begin? At the beginning, how it all happened, or how, how do you want? Where do you want to hear? Well, you know, uh, I guess for for the listeners who don't know much about it, what okay, uh, well, so yeah, yeah, I'll and, just and of course, the... and of course, you know, you hear Keanu Reeves, and, and your your ears yeah. perk up, and you're like, what? Yeah, well, that's pretty much how it happened. Um, so I'll start from the beginning. I was working on Juggernaut with Fabian Nicieza, and uh, which I loved doing that that book. It was I was a gas to draw him, um, and working with Fabian, who I've, I've known forever. Um, but, uh, you know, COVID happened and, you know, Marvel closed up shop for a short time and uh, my contract was up and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I knew I, I felt like it was time for me to move on. Um, I'd been there for so long and I felt stale and I felt I just wanted to grow and, and, or just do something else. Maybe pursue another career owned with somebody at Image or I just didn't know. And I was going to just do commissions and Maybe just to be an artist's artist and, you know, do paintings again. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. So I just knew I didn't want to jump right into another big thing or, you know, and so I wasn't going to renew my contract. I don't know if Marvel was going to renew contracts. I think they were, they're revamping that whole aspect of, the, of their business. But um, so, uh, so during that time I was working on general, I got an email from Boom Studios and from this guy, I think it was Philip. And he said, hey, we were just wondering what your availability is. And I'm like, well, uh, interesting. I'm finishing up Juggernaut and then I'm not sure what I'm going to do. He said, oh, can we talk on the phone? I'm like, sure. You know, I had no plans to really get involved in anything, but I said, sure. And so he called up and he said, listen, we're doing this book with Keanu Reeves. And I was like, oh, the, you know, the movie star. I mean, obviously how many Keanu Reeves are out there? And I'm like, okay. And I, my first instinct was it was a branding thing. Like most people thought he would just put his name on something and they're, you know, Keanu Reeves, Shatterstar, whatever it would be, um, or Berserker. And uh, so um, when they, then they said, well, he really loves your work. And I was like, what? I said, uh, well, I didn't hear that from him. Thinking, you know, kind of joking, sort of mm -hmm. bluffing them, you know, whatever. So. They said, well, listen, can you, can we talk more about it? Can, you know, can we do a Zoom meeting on Wednesday and just talk to you more about the project? I'm like, yeah, sure. So um, Wednesday comes, I go and press the Zoom button, bing, up comes Keanu Reeves staring. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really weird. Um, you know, I'm just staring at him like, hey, he's like, run. And uh, he's like, uh, you know talked he said i've been reading all i'm on a ron garney bender this weekend or something i, don't, I forgot what was said exactly but stuff along those lines and the other guys from boom were there and you know we just talked about the project and you know what they wanted to accomplish with it and he told me the whole story backstory but i was 
that was just sort of it was really trippy you know i'm mm-hmm. sitting there talking to that guy um it isn't now i've talked to him enough now when we've skyped personally with each other you know so now you know he's more like a buddy than anything um but um so i've gotten over the trippy nature of that you know mm-hmm. that it was at first so um yeah so that's that's how it began um and now i'm actually finishing up the fourth issue <laughs> so which will be coming out when this podcast comes out <laughs> <next month. laughs> so uh yeah so that's where we're at with it and i'm having a gas doing it um i honestly wasn't i was gonna say no when i when before the zoom meeting i was just like yeah i just don't want to get involved i'm leaving marvel i don't even know what i'm gonna do and, you know and, and then bang can reeves pops up and it's like <laughs> what am i gonna do say no sorry i'm not doing this book you know and i did like the character a lot that was the most important thing is i really did like the character i love the nature of it you know the violence is even artistic in its own way and i try to uh approach the visuals like a violent symphony like um you know a conductor of a violent symphony you know the sweeping motions of the you know, every violent blow moves into the next panel and it just feels like very, you know, um, you know, and it's a very epic story. Um, it spans across, it's an 80,000 year old guy and it spans across these, you know, obviously eons of his life and uh, what, and, because he's basically born of a God and, uh, and a woman and, um, so it explores that whole how how he copes with being that and how he can love and how he can how he copes with being what he is and how you know and he wants to be able to die he wants to he doesn't want to die but he wants to be able to die and uh, you know so it encompasses all these sort of emotional ethical moral you know spiritual dilemmas within a, a character that would be that old you know and, and who he is and where he comes from so it's a lot of fun and i'm you know, we're having a ball doing it. Matt's a great writer. I mean, he's basically ghostwriting for Ken. I'm not really ghostwriting, but they sit and Ken acts it all out. And, you know, Matt takes notes and everything and, and writes it down. And it's, uh, you know, so it's, um, it's a, you know, it's a, probably the first time I've come onto a title where it feels like lightning in a bottle again, because it sold so well and it's doing so well. And it's, this, yeah. you know, we've all done, uh, we've gotten great reviews and the industry seems to really be absorbing and loving it. It felt like a shot in the arm that the industry needed. Um, so yeah, so I'm, you know, it's great being a part of something like that. Yeah. The series, um, it's a big hit. I mean, number one's gone through, I think four printings, the other issues, multiple mm. printings. Yeah. Um, speaking of multiple covers, there's like 30 of them or something. Uh, and, and you're right. It, it is quite violent. Uh, it so, is, yeah. uh, I don't know if, you know, if Keanu during his, his, uh, his Garney, uh, binge, uh, was reading Savage Sword of Conan or, or, you know, I like think if, he was, I uh, think he read that he read it, Men of Wrath. Um, Men of Wrath is very violent. Um, you know, and my style that I've evolved sort of into for these kinds of books is very raw, um, and gritty and I'm using a lot of open black and white you know uh, a black and white relationship you know people have compared it to miller which is obviously mm-hmm. flattering and you know while there is i can see that i mean it's 
you know, uh, there's other influences in there as well. Um, that uh, I, I guess, I mean, you know, I don't, I'm not really thinking about it that much. I'm just drawing it the way I see it, what comes to my mind and, and my visual when I'm drawing it, things that pop up that I want to keep or things I want to eliminate in the work, you know, so um, it is what it is. And, um, you know, but it's very raw for sure, uh, yeah. just like those other books. And you're doing both the pencils and inks. And uh, yeah. so it's, it's uh, for those who, who, you know, aren't familiar with, with Ron's recent work where he's, he's inking his own pencils. It's, 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 a, it is, you mentioned your, your style, you know, ch changing over the years. Um, it, it, it is, it's very strong. And, and uh, so I highly recommend for people to check this out. Yeah. If you have the stomach for it. <laughs> there's right. some stuff that happens in the book that's pretty uh pretty brutal um i don't know if you read issue two um, no not yeah, yet but uh oof <laughs> i'm just warning you it's brutal you know and um but that's the nature of the character it's not this gratuitous you know it's just violence for violence sake he was created for that reason and you know and uh so you know it's this tribe that this tribe that keeps this farmer, you know, they're basically peaceful farmers and they keep getting decimated by warrior tribes in the, you know, the area, uh, surrounding areas. And they come and they rob and they pillage and they rape and they steal, you know, they take all their resources, even their children as, you know, bring as slaves or whatever. And, uh, so they make, you know, they pray to these gods of their gods and, uh, you know, the mother gets impregnated <laughs> by a lightning bolt from the sky, basically, and uh, Berserker is born to defend this tribe. And uh, but it's so out of control, um, you know. And then the father uh, figure in it sort of starts taking advantage of it and exploiting it to uh, a sort of a Twilight Zone sort of moral tale too. In that, you know, I want I don't want to give too much away, so. Um, you know, because those issues haven't come out, but it's, that's basically the thrust of it. Yeah. No, again, I, I think it's a, it's a fun story. Um, and I, I can tell you're having a lot of fun with it. So yeah, uh, I, yeah. I recommend people check it out. It's been a gas for sure. So Ron, uh, thanks so much for, for joining us. Uh, it's been a great conversation. Uh, you know, it's a real thrill. Uh, I, I tried to, I hope I, I kept my, my school girl in, uh, my inner school girl, uh, being giddy here. So uh, well, every now and then I saw pigtails growing and your little skirt appeared on you and, you know, so it was uh, it's a good thing. This is just a podcast. There's no visuals. All right. That's right yeah. <laughs> all right thanks again rob we appreciate it thanks guys i appreciate it have a good day be well all right all right that was a great conversation uh with ron Gardy. um and i hope uh, i hope the listeners enjoyed that a lot of good insight and some backstory on on some of the the work that went behind uh, the, the, the art that we love so much by Garney on, on many of the, the Captain America uh, series that he did. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, just a, gen, a genuine, sincere guy who, uh, who doesn't hold back, right? He just tells it like it is. And, uh, and I, I appreciate that. I mean, I appreciate sort of the, the, the you know, calling the balls and strikes, uh, really telling us how the plays went, went, uh, went down and uh, how things unfolded. It's just really, uh, you get a real glimpse of behind the scenes, right? And uh, that's interesting for yeah. guys like us who only see, uh, see the surface level. Yeah, 
And how cool it would be to 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 have one of be able to work on one of your favorite characters growing up. You know, I mean, like the fact that he he did the sample pages to get into Marvel, uh, he did he did Cap, you know, and uh, to 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 eventually uh, get to do all that. I mean, that's a dream come true, I think, for for any comic fan. Yeah. And I mean, and that story about Zach, man, that's just talk about synchronicity, right? I mean, he called it serendipity, synchronicity, whatever you want to call it, the stars aligning. I mean, just a great story. It was. It was. Um, in fact, we'll we'll finish up our Ron Garney uh, trio here. Um, so, in if you if you missed episode thirty eight, uh, we cover um, Captain America four forty nine through four fifty one. We cover those three issues by Mark Wade and Ron Garney, and then next episode, episode forty, we're going to finish off that story uh, with four fifty two through four fifty four, which actually also finishes off volume one of Captain America. So um, we talked about some of that today with Ron Garney, and um, so it'll be now you know next episode when we cover these, it, it'll have a little bit more insight and a little bit more meaning when we cover those issues. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, uh, Bob, as always, been uh, enjoying a wrap and cap with you. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Let's hey, let's do this again sometime soon. Uh, let's, let's let's do it next week. <laughs> All right. Uh, he's Bob Lucius. I'm Rick Verbonis, and you've been listening to the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. <music> Well, you look like a cross between George Clooney and Scott Bakula. <laughs> <laughs> People tell you that? Uh, you know, it's no. funny. I had, no, I had a student tell me uh, the George Clooney one earlier this week, and I was yeah. like, you, See, you, need you, to, you need to move I've been to told that myself, actually. Uh, yeah. Definitely a cross between those two guys. All right, well, you know, could, uh, could be Ron, a movie star. What are you doing this for? <laughs> Rod's been full of compliments. He thought I was 20 earlier. He, <laughs> well, I'm being honest. I, I'm not, oh, you know. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Is this any better? No, you don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that changed everything. <clears throat>